have your Bible, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the fifth book in the Old Testament. All right, Deuteronomy 6. If you have it, say amen. All right. We'll begin reading verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And now Moses changed gears, and listen what he says. And these words which I command thee this day now shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig with thou, which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are all around you. Here the children of Israel are about to enter the long-awaited promised land of milk and honey. And for the first time, they are about to become a nation of the world. So here they come, three and a half million people strong, recently delivered from 430 years of Egyptian bondage, recently delivered from 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and now about to enter a land that they can call their own. A land with amazing resources. A land flowing with milk and honey. Houses full of all good things. Gushing wells of water, vineyards and olive trees and herds upon herds of wildlife. Great and goodly cities. Everything just waiting for their occupancy. The dream of a lifetime is about to become a reality for the children of God. But then comes repeated warnings from God through Moses in verse 11. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought you out of the land of Egypt and into the house of bondage. Some of the most dangerous times in our lives is when we are full, when we have everything we want, when we have beautiful homes and nice cars and clothes and food in our refrigerator. When things are going well, that's the most likely time that people are going to forget God. 
This scenario has been lived out again in the land that we call America. America the beautiful, God shed his grace upon thee. America was the envy of the world. It was the hope of the world. But America forgot God. And the Bible says all nations that forget God are going to be turned into hell. And we can see hell. We can hear hell. We can learn all about hell to all the medias that are blasting away at all the unfortunate and miserable times that Americans are having to go through today. Think about it. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. And what follows that statement are constant reminders of the importance of obeying God's commandments and commands to utterly destroy the Canaanite nations. And each one of those nations were greater and mightier than the children of Israel. They were about to become a part of the world. The wandering in the wilderness and the bondage in Egypt, it's all past now. And now they're going to become a nation of the world. And Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2 says, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee and mentions these seven nations. And he says, they're all greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver thee before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show any mercy to them. Verse 5 and 6. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all that are upon the face of the earth. That didn't last long for the nation of Israel. But it's lasted quite a time for the nation of America. We're the most envied people in the world. And now, people look at our nation and they hang their heads and they mock and they laugh at us. We were once the greatest nation in the world. I'm going to make a point and tie this in with you fathers and you mothers. We were once the greatest nation in the world. And now things are happening that have filled our hearts with fear. Filled parents' hearts with fear. America is no longer a pleasant place to live. People are afraid to walk the streets and walk in the parks. And so the question arises... How were they going to have contact without contamination? There was only one way. There was only one way to come out on top and to remain one of the greatest nations in the world. And that was to obey the commandments of God. And that principle has never changed throughout the ages. And what was going to be the challenge for the children of Israel? Their biggest challenge now 
was raising up godly homes in an ungodly culture. Raising up godly homes in an ungodly neighborhood. Raising up godly children in a nation that's forgotten God or has forgotten God. God's intent was to raise up one world, one nation under God. God wanted a people who were strong and able to withstand the tyranny of time and the aggression of fierce neighbors. So he gave us. This was God's solution to what's happening out there. He gave us fathers and he gave us mothers. And those parents were the ones where the weight of all this responsibility was going to fall to try and turn America or any other nation back to God. It's in the laps of fathers and mothers. Thank God for our fathers. Thank God for our mothers. Human history has witnessed the rise of one civilization after another. I don't know, maybe 30, 40 civilizations ever since time started. Powerful nations, but sadly, most all of them have fallen into ruin and destruction. What is it about us that we never learn from the, from, from, from the actions of the past? We never learn from the mistakes of the past. We can read history over and over and over and over again. And we still kill one another. We still have wars. We still have bad attitudes. We still have all kinds of addictions. Nothing goes right. And we've got all of history to learn something, but we don't. That's where you come in, Dad. That's where you come in. It's your responsibility, my responsible as a spiritual father, to do what we can do to stem the tide. And you know what frightens me the most? There's not a whole lot of time left to do it. When that stench of sin came up before God in Noah's day, God destroyed that civilization. And when that other stench came up from the cities of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah, that stench of sin, God destroyed that civilization. And when God sees all that's going on in our country and the stupidity and the ignorance and the calculated ungodliness parading our little elementary children and showing them how to be drag queens? You're out of your mind, America. And any president, any politician that allows that to go on, you are out of your mind. There's hell to pay for people who have no time for God. And Dad... You're the man that runs the home. And you've got, by God's grace, you have got to show the generations coming up under your authority the way home. Historian Arnold Toynbee says, they didn't fall, all of these civilizations, because of conquest from without but they fell from moral decay from within. It was not the strength of their enemies, but their moral weakness that brought them down. Much of their collapse was due to an inner moral and ethical decay and the way they treated one another. The classic example is the Roman Empire. Edward Gibbons, the historian, wrote the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Gibbons gave five inner causes 
that led to Rome's downfall. And these five causes are working, unfortunately and very tragically, in almost all the institutions of America today. What caused civilization after civilization to fall is the same thing that's working in America's institutions today. From the top all the way down to the bottom. There's corruption. There's lying. There's cheating. A steady, here they are. A steady increase of sexual immorality, divorce, and the breakup of the home. Let me tell you, if, de if, the if the devil has a target, it's your family and your home, and you have to do everything you can to say no to the devil, or your happy home will become a miserable home. Higher and higher taxes until the economy fell while politicians of the empire continued to spend public funds with reckless abandon. Sound familiar? A mad desire for excitement leading to all kinds of immoral behaviors. Increased political pressure for armaments with, with blind disregard for the destructive elements building up inside of the empire. A decline in religion and a withholding of support from character building institutions Morally weak people make weak nations, weak cities, weak homes, and weak marriages. I thought as the news came on last night, and all the channels and all the medias in Ohio are making a big to-do about the pride parade. There was a time our institutions, our medias, would not touch it, would not say it. Why? They knew it was wrong. But today, professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. Dad, don't let no media, institution, person, place, or thing make a fool out of you. Thank God for our fathers. Thank God for our mothers. Thank God we all get a chance to hear the truth of God's eternal word from time to time. And we're not dumbed down by the system. All this sounds like today's daily news. But this is what I want to say on this Father's Day. The only foundations, the only foundations that enable people to survive and enjoy security and the pursuit of happiness are moral and spiritual. Dad, if your home is not on that foundation of morality and spirituality, you are leading your family into a wilderness, into a desert land. And God holds you responsible. And he holds me responsible as a spiritual father. We all have to stand before God individually and give an account. Did you tell them the truth? Did you try to get into their heart? But more than that, don't tell them. Did you show them? Did you live it out? Did you show them that there's a lifestyle possible? That you can live in the sight of God? Amen? I have a friend in this congregation. He's here this morning. And he lives next door to another friend. And that friend is a Christian. And comes over his house and they hang out together and they have a good time. At least they're trying to have a good time. It's probably going to come to an end. But every other word out of his mouth is GD and JC and F this and F that. And so my friend asked him, hey, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Why, sure I'm a Christian. Well, how can sweet and bitter came out, come out of the same fountain? 
you're a Christian, you got to talk like one, think like one, act like one. Somebody said, what you doing this morning? I'm just trying to put the axe a little bit on the root this morning. And over and over again, God just kept preparing his people for nationhood. It is a truth written throughout all the ages of humanity and into the 66 books of the Bible. I'm telling you, people, God's way out of survival is his way. There isn't anybody going to get around or survive doing it any other way than God's way. What a favor God has done. People say, what's the will of God? Here it is. 66 books, 44 authors, all fitting into one another like a glove. God has given us the way, the secret, the road map on how to survive in a nation that is not likely going to survive. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 5, people of Israel, and it can just as well be said, people of America, be careful to do all that the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn away to the right or the left so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that thou you, in the land that you will possess. When a nation turns to anarchy, disobedience, and immorality, God turns away from that nation, and that nation dies. They die spiritually. And the Bible says, yet while they live, they're dead. We've got dead men, dead women, dead children, walking up and down all of America's cities and don't even know that they are dead. Now I want you, well, reading the historian's list of why Rome fell and hearing the repeated warnings of God's word over and over again should make all of us Americans tremble with fear. It ought to bring a great responsibility to our fathers and our mothers. Because Rome's sins are our sins all over again. We are an indulgent, sex-crazed, crime-riddled, freedom-mad, lying daily through our teeth, selfish society. Living under the judgment of God and this country, half of this country, doesn't even know that judgment is at the door. They are so intoxicated, so unaware that something's about to explode on us. Something's about to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye. The Lord is going to split the clouds. And just like that, it's over. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. There's no rebuilding a kingdom. There's no offering other sacrifices. It's over. Well, somebody said, well, the, the millennium, the lion going to lie down with the lamb. Ain't never going to happen. And the only way that a lion going to lie down with the lamb, when the lamb's in his stomach. Now, I want you to see 
this just sort of opened up to me. I want you to see how important the roles of motherhood and fatherhood are in the sight of God. The first thing on Gibbon's list was the breakup of the Roman family. And the first thing on God's list was the breakup of the family. Here, Israel is about to become a nation. They're going to join a part. Now they're going to be a part of the world. And the very first concern of God was not to build mighty military strength. It wasn't to build financial strength or intellectual strength or some kind of technological strength. The first thing on God's mind in our text, when Israel joined the world and became a part of the nation, wasn't any of those things. It was to build domestic strength, good homes, strong homes, strong marriages, because that's the lifeline and the blood of America's success. Having families that know how to pray, fathers that know how to pray, not fathers that go around and fight with their wives and curse in front of their kids and act crazy in front of their kids and then come to church and sit like they're angels. God sees it all. Wake up, America. I like this snow. My feet don't even hurt me now. You know what I'm feeling from this sponge? A little jumpiness. I want to jump out at you. That's the first thing on Gibbon's list. The family. The parents. And it's the first thing on God's list. As goes the family, so goes the churches and the surrounding communities. Look at our text. Moses first does a review of God's commandments in the first five verses and then turns immediately to the parents, to our homes, and the spiritual educators of our children. Why do you think they're trying to tag mothers and fathers as domestic terrorists? You've got to get the parents out of the way, especially those that go to church because they're instilling in their children that the greatest priority in the world is to love God and love your neighbor. And listen to what he says in verse 6. These words which I command thee this day. Now Moses talking to somebody else. Specifically, he's talking to the parents. And he says, I command thee this day. I command you that these commandments may be in thine heart. In other words, Moses was saying to the parents, Impress upon your children the importance of obeying God. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. All these references do not mean we are merely to teach a little memory verse or go to church every once in a while. It means to live a Christian lifestyle 365 days a year for every year that you live. That's what those verses mean. Fathers, you know this. And I thank God that you do know this. The weight of your teaching comes first by the weight of your living. 
Christianity is what we do and what we are from early morning to late night. When we leave home and when we come home. Before the early teen ages, children should do what parents tell them to do. But after that, they do what they see their parents do. Weak faith, inconsistent parental parenting can teach faith all they want, but they will most likely produce weak homes, weak marriages, and very, very vulnerable children. In these verses from 6 to 9, the responsibility of instruction falls squarely on the shoulders of the parents. And I want to say to all our fathers, don't let your kids down. Don't let your neighbors down. Because you are the hope for tomorrow, and they are the hope of your old age. Verse 7 answers the question, when shall we teach these values and biblical commands to our kids? And thou shalt teach them diligently unto unto thy children. Teach them when they are young. Those are the formative years. Some believe that the first five years of life, we learn more facts than we will learn the rest of our lives. It's true. The children learn their values, their morals, and their responsibilities in their preschool years. You see, the devil's no fool. He's throwing everything ungodly into the lives of our little children. Because if he can get our little children to think crazy and think ungodly, then just be a matter of a generation and America will fall. Most of us are familiar with Robert Felgum's book, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Listen to his list of what we all learned or should have learned. And don't anybody blush because I'll know who you are. Share everything. Play fair. You ought to be with me on a golf course. Don't hit people. Put things where you found them. Clean up after your mess. Don't take what isn't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Wash your hands before you eat. And for God's sake, flush your toilet. Milk is good for you. Do a lot of things like drawing, painting, playing, working. What's going on with that, Falgram? Develop a good work ethic in your children. Take a nap every day. Watch out for traffic. I can still hear my teacher. Stop, look, and listen. Pets die, and so do we. Everything we need to know is there in the list somewhere. The golden rule, love, love, basic sanitation, clean politics, huh? equality, insane living. And if I can add one more thing, Jesus loves you. Snow much. The early years are the most important years to instill the values and commandments in a child's life. And we all know parents are the responsible parties. So God help our fathers to live up to the challenges of parenting today. And thank God for our godly fathers who are doing a terrific job in this congregation. But hear me out. The schools... The schools teach the laws and morality of the land. They used to. But they work with what the homes send them. 
question. Fathers, mothers, what kind of kids are you sending to our schools today? Do you actually believe that they are going to change your parent, your children, in the areas where you may have failed? Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The churches teach the laws of morality and good citizenship and the will of God, but the churches work with what the homes send them. A spoiled child or selfish or mean or lazy at-home child will be the same most likely in school, in church, and in life unless Jesus Christ changes that heart. And even then, they will have an uphill struggle. Listen to me, parents. And even then, our children will have an uphill struggle through their Christian life. Why? Because it's hard even for a child of God to shake off the effects of bad parenting. I can walk through Walmart almost any day of the week and hear some parent cursing their children. Shut up. Shut your mouth. I've heard parents laying it out. And God is not going to hold that child responsible. He's going to hold fathers and mothers and pastors and preachers and evangelists and popes and priests. The early years are the most important years to instill the values and commandments in a child's life. And we all know parents are the responsible parties. So God help us. So what I want to say is fathers and mothers, you are the child's teacher, preacher, and primary role models above all other influences in your children's lives. Their lives are in your hands. And God put them in your hands to be good stewards. They ultimately don't belong to you. We all belong to God. And we're going back to that God. But you and I, as a minister and parents, have been entrusted by God to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That's why God's word in Gibbon's historical account listed both mothers and fathers first as either the cause of a nation's strength or the cause of its weakness. Look at verse 13 and 14. Let's read it. Listen to this. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around about you. Leave all those gods out there alone. Teach your children to leave them alone. When you see things that don't look normal, when you see things that are weird, when you see things that are just out of order, leave those gods alone. Their lives are in your hands to instruct them, motivate them, and show them Jesus in your life. That's why God's word and givens, I said, repeating that both mothers and fathers, first as either the cause of a nation's strength or the cause of its weakness. Leave those other gods alone. You know why God said that? Because people become like the gods 
they worship. Bacchus, he was the god of wine. And he has a whole fleet, millions of his drunken and drugged followers following him every day. And they're wasting away. Those that are worshiping the God of drugs and the God of wine and the God of drink, we're watching them in our big cities by the millions dying on the streets, defecating on the streets. Because our leaders don't have enough sense to know what to do with them. Then there's the god of Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual pleasure. We got perverts, perverts running around this country, running around our streets, holding high positions in offices, and all they want is to mess around with little girls and little boys. See, when you worship those gods out there, you eventually become like those gods. And without Christ, you're without strength to prevent yourself from following those gods. Then there's the god of Athena, the goddess of wisdom. I never saw so many stupid people professing themselves to be wise. And the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Then there is Thor, the god of war. Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Look at the bizarre changes in the appearances and styles of millions of our youth, including adults. Their gods are making them look hideous. And unlike the natural images of male and female, they say when Columbus set out in 1492, he did not know where he was going. When he arrived, he did not know where he was. And when he returned, he did not know where he had been. People are like that in life when they chase after this world's gods. They don't know who they are. They no longer know what gender they are. Even senators don't even know what gender they are. But the truth is they do know. But they're lying. When you start trying to copy or worship at the foot of the gods out there in this world that are destroying our generations, destroying our kids, destroying the nuclear family, destroying every institution that had any value, any sacred value. Everything that's like God is coming down in America. Don't let them take you down, Dad. Don't let them take you down, Mom. Don't let them take you down, preacher. Stand up and preach the truth. And whom the Son sets free is going to be free indeed and not any other way. People are like that in life when they chase after the world's gods. They don't know who they are. They don't know what gender they are. But the truth is, they are a special in the apex of God's creation. They don't know for what purpose they are. But the Bible says, we're here to serve and glorify God. They don't know where they are going. But they are going back to God who will hold them accountable. I'm closing. Fathers, any society to curb the selfish nature of the flesh and its savage nature must have laws and governing conduct or anarchy and cruelty will reign in that home 
in that community, and in that city. Fathers, it's a challenging task, but you need to bring your children face to face with God. It's so disturbing to see a child with a bad attitude. Children running around our supermarket, wandering around our streets. I walked into a drugstore, and the woman, the clerk behind the desk, was talking to another clerk, and a young person was walking out of the store. And the clerk said, good morning. Kid didn't even, he just totally ignored her. And then when I walked out, I said, have a nice day. Children, you're too young to have bad attitudes. You're playing right into the devil's hands. When he gets done with you, you're not going to know your right hand from your left. The devil's playing for keeps. That's why this preacher preaches like he does. There's an accountability waiting for me when I leave this world, and I'm getting closer to it every single day. And so are you. So many kids in our streets. I see cars fussing with road rage, flipping the bird to one another, women rolling down the world. Go off yourself, women, women! Acting like drunken sailors. Jesus said, Father, don't take them out of the world but keep them from the evil. And thank God if the Holy Spirit of God gets in your life, you will be invincible. You will overcome sin, Satan, and the world, the beast, his image, his mark, his number, his name. That's freedom. Look at our text. It says so much to us. Our text, God through Moses told his people in verse 6, God's laws must be in our hearts. What's he saying? That means God's laws must be in our hearts. God has to be in our hearts. That means what we are in public and in private. On our hands, in verse 8, listen to what it says. And thou shalt bind them for the sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. On our hands, in verse 8, means what we do. We're these little hands, what they do. What they pick up to read. What they turn on to watch. Listen. That means what we do. And as frontlets between our eyes means what we think. Verse 9 says about the commandments of God, we should write them upon the posts of the house. Write your commandments on the post of your house and write the commandments on your gates. Why? So people, when they pass your house, 
they'll know what side you're on. And they'll know whom you worship. And they won't run over to your house and try to pull you into some kind of evil or some kind of mischief. Everything about God has got to magnify itself in your life and in your home. So he says, write them on the post, write them on the gates, so all the neighbors will know who you are and who you serve. Save you a lot of aggravation, too. That's why Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And finally, fathers, you must confront your children with the truth that God requires. And what God requires of the young is their own personal responsibility and obedience when it comes to God's commandments. Their own personal responsibility. The whole goal of Christian obedience is not coercion. It's not conscience. I mean, it's not this, but it's conscience and integrity and character. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. We obey God's laws because they are right. I can't see that clock. One big snowflake has just blocked it out. Keep that snowflake a-hanging. The point of God, through, the point of God's commandments are protection and the pursuit of happiness. And whether we like it or not, all our children... Whether you children like the commandments of God or the authority of parents, whether you like it or not, you're all headed for freedom. The day's coming when you're going to walk out of your house, and if you walk out of your house with a bad attitude and don't have no respect for God, Satan is going to flip you upside down and sift you like wheat. Listen to this preacher this morning. Don't listen to me, listen to the, to the God that I serve and the word that he offers to us. That's part of being created in the image of God. Children are a gift of God, but parents are God's stewards. When it comes to helping our children get to heaven, oh, it should be a joint venture. All the parents, the pastors, and the saints. We should all do everything we can. And it should be a thrill and our joy to help all our children get to heaven. If there are any fathers here, who need a little spiritual wisdom and help to get their children safely to heaven. Or if their father's here who hit a few slumps, perhaps failed here and there, and didn't present the best role model they could have been. Happens to preachers, it happens to fathers, it happens to leaders. God is a God, I want you to know, God is a God of a second chance. He's a forgiving God and a God who longs to partner with every parent to get the children home safely. We sang because he lives. And believe me, church, because God lives and he's still on his throne, we can face every adversity, every opposition, every demon. Because he lives, we are going to live also. Parents, especially fathers today, are standing in positions of great responsibility and nobody more than God wants you to be the father of the year. God wants every mother and every father to be the parent of the year. And if you have stumbled or failed or maybe you're so busy or so entangled. You just haven't had the time to be the kind of father, the kind of mother that God wants you to be. 
I want you to know that the God we serve is a God of do-overs. He's a God of second chances and third chances and seven times 70 chances. He's a God that wants you to make it. He wants me to make it. He wants our enemies to make it. But you've got to come through the blood. You've got to come through the blood. Sherm, if you will, let's sing something. I'm going to ask the audience to stand. Is that true? It's quarter of? Bad snowflake. Bad snowflake. God bless you. Let's sing. I know you got plans. We all have plans. Have a great Father's Day. Best you can. I know you can't honor fathers who've not been good fathers, but you don't have to carry it through life. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. Doesn't mean you have to agree, you have to forgive, I mean, you, you, you have to reconcile. No. Some fathers have been bad, some mothers have been bad. But your heavenly father, he's never been bad and never will be bad. And he's rooting for you. Let's sing. Number 157, 157. God bless you as we sing. Listen. this true story to you it comes from Dr. E.V. Hill while he was on a trip on an airplane the man seated by him said what do you do for a living when E.V. Hill said he was a preacher of the gospel the man said you preachers are in a lot of trouble Hill said really the man said you know those TV preachers Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker Dr. Hill said, let me tell you something about God. When I stand before him, he ain't going to say one word about Jimmy Swaggart or Jim Baker. He's got a whole book on me, and Jimmy Swaggart ain't in it. And mister, he's got a whole book on you, and the whole subject is you. Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker won't even be mentioned. Then Daniel Webster says, the greatest lesson he learned in lifetime, in a lifetime of study, was his individual responsibility to God. Where you go, whatever you do, you ain't got nobody you can point a finger at. And there's a lot of devils out there you can point your finger at. But when you and I stand before God, nobody's going to be there but you, your life, and God. And if you don't get it cleaned up before you leave this world, you will have regrets throughout the ceaseless end of eternity. This is preliminary judgment. This is the mercy of God. Jesus is still waiting and hoping 
that all the children will come home, all the parents will come home. But that day of no mercy is quickly approaching. And don't let an attitude take you into hell without God. Amen? You've been a great audience and you've probably worked up an amazing appetite.